Uh, I want to talk about grace, but I want to start with this. Um, Many people in the Bible encountered Jesus. Some were healed. Some were set free. Some found salvation. Some were encouraged. But there were others which left discouraged. There were some which met Jesus and were rebuked. There were some which met Jesus and ended up committing suicide. Meeting Jesus is not enough. How you meet him matters. So I want to talk this morning about the posture of encountering Jesus. What, how should I be? What the posture is? And I want to, want to look at some, some stories in, in the Bible. Um, I'm going to start in Matthew 19 with a rich young ruler. I'm, just, I'm going to read it out. You don't need to turn there. I'm reading from the Passion. It says this, Then a young man approached Jesus and bowed before him, saying, Wonderful teacher, is there a good work I have to do to obtain eternal life? Jesus answered, why would you call me wonderful? God alone is wonderful, and why would you ask what good work you need to do? Keep the commandments, and you'll enter into the life of God. Verse 18, which one, he asked. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother, and love those around you as you love yourself. The young man replied, but I've always obeyed every one of them without fail. Is he a liar? I don't know. Obeyed every one of them without fail, the young man replied. What else do I lack? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Jesus said to him, if you really want to be perfect, go now and sell everything you own. Give your money to the poor and your treasure will be transferred into heaven. Then come back and follow me for the rest of your life. When the young man heard these words, he walked away sad for he had great wealth. And although he doesn't say it, it seems to suggest that he went away and didn't do any of that stuff. And then Jesus teaches about how hard it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom. Contrast that encounter with Jesus, Matthew 19, with Luke 19. A one you know very well, Zacchaeus. Jesus walks into a town. Zacchaeus is hid up a tree. Why is he hid up a tree? He wants to see Jesus, but the town hate him. Not only is he short, they hate him. Jesus goes straight to the tree, says, I'm having lunch with you, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes down. The crowd is in uproar. They hate that Jesus is going to spend time with Zacchaeus because he is the villain of the city. They hate him. He is the scum of the earth. And yet Jesus wants to have lunch with him. And it says, as they went, he didn't even get to the house. As they went, Zacchaeus said, everyone I've defrauded, I'm going to pay four times back. He's, he's just putting back what, what, we, what he's done wrong. And then he says this, and half of my legitimate wealth I will give to the poor. Jesus' response is this in verse 9. says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you've got the rich young ruler who's a perfect man. God says, I need all your money. Zacchaeus, who is a scoundrel, gives half away. And Jesus says, you've got it. He's saved. Why did Zacchaeus only have to give half? Surely he'd have to give more than the rich. Well, let, let me tell you a few more stories and then we, and then we maybe we'll get something out of this. John 3. You will surely know John 3. John 3, 16. What's the context of John 3, 16? John 3, verse 1. The story of Nicodemus. Now, there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus who was part of the sect called the Pharisees. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can ever perceive God's kingdom, they must first experience a rebirth. 
Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It is impossible for anyone to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and the spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom. For the natural realm only gives birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to the spiritual life, supernatural life. You should be, shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You all must be born from above. For the spirit word wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is the same with those who are spirit born. Nicodemus replied, I don't understand what do you mean? How does this happen? Now, we know this scripture. We call ourselves, you know, most of the day we call ourselves born again believers. And somehow we've, we've, we've kind of like cheapened to being born again to I belong to this kind of denomination or I'm a certain type of believer. Jesus never said, well, Nicodemus, all you need to do is say a prayer and you'll be born again. What was Jesus saying to Nicodemus, this being begun, but be, be born again? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He had devoted his life to prayer, to reading the word, to serving God. He, was, he devoted everything that he had to serving him. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? What you've done is not enough to get into heaven. You need to be born of the spirit. You need to do something that is impossible. It doesn't tell Nicodemus how to be born of the Spirit. He says, you need to be born of the Spirit, something that you cannot do. You've devoted your life to being the best you can, but there is something you cannot do which will get you into heaven. Sorry. Let's contrast that with the thief on the cross, Luke 23. Sorry, a lot of scriptures. One of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the cross rebuked the man saying, don't you fear God, you're about to die. We deserve to be condemned. We're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, saying Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus promised, responded, I promise you this very day you will enter paradise with me. Nowhere does he ask the thief to give up any money. Nowhere does he tell him that he needs to be born again by the Spirit. He just says, right away, you've turned to me, paradise is yours. What about the woman caught in adultery? She is there in her sin. It says she was caught in the midst of it. Her life is in Jesus' hands. We don't even have a count of her saying anything. And Jesus reaches out and says, I don't condemn you. And he saves her. What about the guy who came through the ceiling as the plaster is still falling down and he's queue jumping? I mean, how proud is that getting right in front of the queue? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He hasn't said a word. And yet it seems that Jesus seems to, to give grace and extend his hand as saviour to a whole load of horrible, notorious sinners, those in pain, those in shame. And yet the people who are upright and righteous, he tells them something which is very hard to do or something that is impossible to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is this? Because it doesn't make sense to me until I saw this. If we go back to Zacchaeus, what did Jesus say? The Son of Man has come to seek out and to give life to those who are lost. Jesus said earlier on in Luke, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Let me tell you something else. There is not, apart from Jesus, there is not one righteous person that will ever get to heaven. 
Heaven is going to be full of sinners who've repented and turned to Jesus. That's what it says in Romans. We've sung it already, amazing grace. What was the posture of Nicodemus? What was the posture of the rich young ruler? They thought they were already pretty sorted. They came very respectful to Jesus. They called him teacher, rabbi. What were they after? Well, the rich young ruler said this, what more must I do? In other words, I've done so much already. What more must I do just to get me over the line? If you come to Jesus as teacher, he will give you an incredible lesson. He will tell you to do something that is impossible or really hard. Because what is the lesson he is teaching you? You cannot do it on your own. You need a savior. That is the lesson. But when you come to Jesus in desperation, when you come to Jesus with your whole mind full of your sin, when you know you're a sinner and you're there, and rather than saying, Jesus, help me be better, you're saying, Jesus, help, I cannot do this. I need help. I'm in desperate, desperate state. I cannot do this on my own. He just reaches out his hand and saves you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. But for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world may be saved through him. Those that believe in Jesus are not judged, but those who do not believe in Jesus have already been judged and found wanting. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me tell you the two different types of people. There are people, there'll be people in this room and you're, you're coming to Jesus this morning saying, I'm trying to pray harder. I'm trying to do all I can. I, 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 I'm now praying an hour a day. I'm reading my Bible every day. I, I've, I've done this. I've, I've, run a, I've run a house group. I'm in the ministry team. I've been on mission. I've done all these type of things. I, I, I. And Jesus says, not good enough. And they're those who come to Jesus and just say, help, I need a saviour. And heaven resounds, you've got it. That was the case all along. That's the point of this journey. You know you need a saviour. So why am I telling this to probably a room full of Christians who all know this, who all know it's grace, who know we're saved by grace, who know John 3.16? I'm reminding us because I think we forget. We forget it's all about grace. We forget it's all about him. And we start to make it all about us. Has, has this thought process ever gone through your mind? You see someone who needs, um, who needs prayer for healing. And you start to think, well, what's my prayer life been this week? Who am I to do this? What have I achieved? And we start to look through our own performance as a Christian before we step out in faith. Our righteousness, our faith is not based on our own uh, performance. If it is, it is found wanting. My performance, I mean, 
my righteousness is based on Jesus Christ, on the cross that he died on. I can see people healed because Jesus died on that cross. I can see people saved because of what Jesus did on that cross. I can walk through as righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not about my righteousness that I put my identity in. It's not my righteousness that I start to, to draw on. It's what he did for me. That's why we can see the sick healed. That's why we can see chains fall off people. That's why we can see people redeemed. That's how we can see society turned around when we realize it's all about the cross and not about our works. But it's very easy to get back into our works. Paul says this in in Philippians 3 verse 7. All the religious accomplishments I once took credit for, I now count as garbaged compared to knowing Jesus Christ. What what is Paul talking about? Well, Paul was a bit like Nicodemus. He devoted his life to Yahweh. He devoted his life to learning the Bible and to prayer and to righteousness. Paul said, I count all that, all my religious achievements as garbage compared to knowing him. It's a bit like this. Well, this is what we do. We go, um, Jesus, I've, I've, just, I've just come to, to give you. I'm going to show you what I've been doing. And uh, here we go. I've, I've been looking in my cupboards, and I found this roller skate, which I think will be really good for my walk with God, because it'll get me there so much quicker. I know it's only got two wheels, which in the four, and I know it really smells fusty, because it's been in my cupboard for a lot. I mean, really, I was going to throw it away, but I just found it. I thought it'd be brilliant. And I know it's about five sizes too small. But here we go. Here's my achievement, God. I'm going to really run for you and get very far for you. It's kind of what it is. Let me give you another example. You come to, you come to Jesus and you go, I baked you a carrot cake. I baked you a carrot cake. Here, here, here's, here's my offering. It's a carrot cake. Uh, and he takes a bite out of it. He goes, oh, it's a bit crunchy. You go, yeah, well, I couldn't quite get off the, all the mud off the carrot shavings that I took out of the compost bin. And I think actually, well, no, that might be part of the eggshell which was in there as well. Oh, that bit at the end of your tongue, that was the tea leaves. Our righteousness is like garbage. And yet we take pride and we, take, we, we, we pick up our own righteousness and we try and give it as a gift to Jesus. When Jesus has already paid for our righteousness. My identity is in what he's done. Not what I can do. Galatians, the, the Galatian church gone into a similar uh, problem and they started to, re- to reject grace and in verse 9 of chapter 4 Paul says this but now you have come to know God how is it you turn back to the weak worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again you, res- you observe religious ceremonies do you know why I, I'm, I'm guessing it doesn't say it in the Bible do you know why I, I guess we go back to our list of achievements about how righteous we are, how good we are, who we are as a person, because we can control these. When I'm here, I'm in control. Jesus, just help me with this little bit of my life. I just want to be that little better. I just want a life improvement plan. Over this side, he is Lord. Whatever he says, go. And it's not a life improvement plan. Paul says this, we died on the cross with him, but now Christ lives in me. 
How can we heal the sick? It's not because I've been praying for two hours or 10 years or because I've read my Bible or or any of that. It's because Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. How can we see people saved? Christ in me, the hope of glory. My confidence is Christ in me, not what I've done. David wrote this in one of the Psalms. You do not want offerings, God. What, sacrifice, what you are after is a contrite heart. What's that? That's a heart which just says, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And whatever I have, I lay down and I give it to you. A contrite heart is not trying to list all the achievements and all the things that they've ever done right. It's one of surrender. Why don't we see enough? Well, let, let me take a back step. I, I've seen, and I, and I think this is one of the things which is changing as, as, as we go into 2022 and, and onwards. There has been a massive growth in churches which are very law-based, very achievement-based. You've even got churches now which aren't a church because they're atheist. They don't believe in God, and yet they still come, and they still songs about how good they are, how amazing they are, and they still teach righteousness. And people flock to them. Why? Because we love to be in control. We love to just feel that big better. We love to be in a self-improvement program. The world doesn't need a self-improvement program. The world needs the revolution of sinners saved by grace. The world needs a revelation of, of being born of the Spirit. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? It's not because we pray to prayer or we belong to a particular church. What it means to be born of the Spirit is this. My prayer is born out of the Spirit. My, my devotion to Him is born out of the Spirit. My, the work I do with my hands, whether it's school or the job I do, is born out of the Spirit. My relationships that I have with me, it's not about what I can do my own. It's born out of the Spirit. It is born out of heaven. Every part of me is radically changed, revolutioned, changed, and I die, God rises, Christ in me, the hope of glory, so that I live and become more and more like Him. That's what it is to be spirit-filled. It's not my achievements, it's his. So I have a question. Paul, could I have you back wherever you've gone? And Liz, yeah, can you back? They're brilliant. I have a question. How many of us came to this morning, and I've seen quite a few empty chairs, but anyway. How many of us came to hear a nugget of truth this morning from a teacher? And how many of us came to throw ourselves at the feet of our Savior? I'm not saying that every church meeting needs to be a revolution. But I'm saying at the core of our faith, it is not self-improvement. At the core of our faith, it's not about what we've achieved, how far we've come. At the core of our faith, it's all about Jesus. What he's done on that cross. I live, I have been because of what he did for me. My confidence is not in my prayer time. My confidence is in the nail marks on his arms on that cross. My confidence is that he rose again on the third day and he gives life and life flows through me. When was the last time, this is a question which you don't need to answer, but when was the last time you threw yourself at the feet of your saviour? When was the last time you said to him, like that song which we don't sing because most of it's a lie and so we put it in the cupboard and forget about it, I surrender all. 
when was the last time, like, like Paul was saying, I've, I've got, you know, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, and, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm finding all these things hard. But God, I just give it all to you. I know that I'm never going to be perfect, but you make righteousness in me. You bring perfection in me. I trust in you this morning.